So let's turn to the Word for today. We're going to read again from John 6, continuing on our readings in John. So Jesus has just fed the 5,000 on the other side of the sea, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, just in the foothills of what we would call the Golan Heights, and then has uh, sent his disciples back across the water in a boat, and they set off, no doubt, under sail, but a squall came up, and they had to row, and because the wind was against them, uh, only made it a few miles from the shore, uh, even though Matthew tells us it was about maybe three or four o'clock in the morning, and Jesus came to them walking on water, and then they arrived at their destination. As they took Jesus into the boat, the strain and the struggle um, of uh, rowing against the wind uh, allowed them to reach their destination. And there's just a little beautiful picture in there for us right there. If you weren't here last week, we'll just tuck that thought away that actually it was as the disciples were willing to take Jesus into the boat that their straining against the oars was done with, uh, that their uh, journey was over, the wind died down, and they reached their destination. And so we're now back at Capernaum, uh, and we're going to read from verse 25 through to 51. It's a fairly long reading, but it hangs together, uh, and so we'll look at this today, and then we'll look at the rest of chapter 6 next weekend. So let's hear God's Word to us today. When the crowd found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How could he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Amen. Now, that's an artificial break because the passage continues, and we'll look at the rest of it next week, and we'll probably recap a little bit just to overlap them. When I was growing up, I had no idea of the little miracles that probably took place from time to time in my household. We were not by any manner or means uh, a, a poverty-stricken household, but I know that times were tight. I know that when you're uh, raising a family with three kids, there are times when the cash flow is not what you might hope it would be, and I know that there are times when mouths still need to be fed, even though it's closer to the end of the month than uh, you would hope it was, and closer to the end of the bank balance than you would like it to be. And I have no idea because our parents didn't rub our noses in it when there were many miracles. I just dragged myself away from whatever toy I was playing with or game I was involved in or whatever else I was doing when I heard the clarion cry, tea's ready, and then it would just be a question of getting to the table with or without hand washing. It's what white cells are for, isn't it? And then I would just sit down and eat what was set in front of me. And then, of course, I would go away again without giving any thought to the miracle of dishwashing that takes place at the end of a meal. The miracle of food preparation and the miracle of dishwashing. I wonder how many of the 5,000 men and whoever else was there in terms of women and children I wonder how many of them understood that this was a miracle. <laughs> I've always just assumed. I've always just assumed that because all four gospel writers record the feeding of the 5,000, that somehow a message went round, the 5,000 people said, by the way, this is a miracle. But actually, the reality was Jesus made them sit down in groups of about 50 and it was the disciples who were present as Jesus was no doubt endlessly breaking bread and fish, which was going into baskets, and I have no idea where they came from, but communities are resourceful and they must have found something. 
And so it was the disciples' job to go and take the food to these groups of people. And the groups of people, probably for the most part, didn't stop to ask, where did this come from? They probably didn't stop to ask about who had the sense to bring enough food for this crowd of people. There would have been some curious or nosy people who might have thought, well, they've just gone to a village or, you know. How far would you get? I very much doubt that many of the people sitting in those groups would be saying, well, it's probably a miracle. It's probably started with five loaves and two fishes, and this is the result. Because we only take that for granted because we've known that story. So how many of those 5,000 people had any idea where what they were eating came from? How many of the people? They simply knew, and the most that you could say was, Jesus teaching, no food with me, suddenly massive banquet. And so it would be entirely understandable for them to draw a line between Jesus and easy meal. But not necessarily all that easy for them to know the detail of it. We're privileged to know, and the disciples are privileged to know. But who else actually knew? And so Jesus, of course, as we know, stayed back On the other side, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples went off in a boat. And the people uh, the next day who were still over on the east side realized Jesus wasn't there. They knew Jesus hadn't gone in the boat. Some boats came from Tiberias, which is over on the west side of the lake. And uh, so they jumped in the boats. They basically commandeered some fishing boats and they went back to Capernaum. Now, if you're going by land, sorry to bore you with the geography of it, but if you're going by land round a lake, it's going to take you an awful lot longer than it will to go by boat across the lake. And yet, when they got to the other side, they found Jesus was there. That's why they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? (laughs) We thought you were still over there. They had no concept, in other words, of who Jesus was. And Jesus went straight to the heart of the matter. Don't you just love it and hate it when Jesus does that? He just cuts through all the nonsense and says, yeah. So why exactly were you looking for me? Desperate for some more teaching, were you? Eager to know more about the things of the kingdom, were you? Or was it just because you were part of a large crowd that joined a line between Jesus and an abundance of food? And of course, that's the reality to today. Jesus doesn't walk in the flesh amongst us. We are the body of Christ, but Jesus, in the sense that we read about him in the New Testament, does not walk amongst us. But nonetheless, there are still people who will recognize whether Jesus will recognize Jesus and people who will not recognize Jesus. Let me give you a very simple, straightforward example. We are 
uh, in the position because of the way we've set up the wild olive tree and because of the incredible generosity of paying customers who come in here and they just make donations. They make donations so that we're in a position to offer free soup and free tea and coffee to people who don't have the means to pay. And we've never really wanted to go too far down the road of working out a system of how do you prove that you don't have the means to pay. And sometimes it can be a difficult question because sometimes we have people who appear to be well-dressed or appear to be able to go shopping in the streets and yet will still come in wanting free stuff. And it's a difficult dilemma without saying to somebody, well, you look like you could afford to pay. And so it's kind of done on trust that if people say they can't afford to pay, then we take them at their word. And we're aware that sometimes there are people who are just, you know, at it, for want of another phrase. And of those people who come and get free stuff in the cafe here, I know that there are those who are deeply and profoundly aware that this is a gift and a grace, and they're grateful for it. And I know that there are people who come and that they recognize that this is an extension of the ministry of this church, and therefore it's done in the name of Jesus, and that somehow, however coherently someone would, would actually form the words, they know that actually this is Jesus' gift to them. In a roundabout sort of way, because it's a Christian church, this is a Jesus ministry. And I also know there are people who come in and get free stuff because you can go in that place and get free stuff. And I know that people will come in and get free stuff, and I know because I'm here and I hear it, and sometimes we have to deal with it and intervene if it gets a little bit boisterous, but there are people who come in here on Thursday or Friday, whatever it was last week, two guys got into an argument in the cafe and they're effing and blinding and swearing at each other in very loud voices in the cafe in a church. <laughs> Other people who will come in and they will just be rude to the staff, have to be reminded to say please or thank you, and come in demanding what they want. Or there'll be people who come in and while they've ordered their tea or their coffee, they'll nip down to the toilets to shoot up and then they'll come back and get their tea or coffee with lots of sugar because lots of sugar speeds the buzz. Now, that's just part of the ministry that we offer and we are engaged with in the city center. It's just the reality. And I just use it as an illustration that you see in that crowd that Jesus fed, there were those who wanted to know more. There were those who recognized Jesus. There were those people that Jesus describes in what he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. The ones whose eyes have been opened, the ones whose hearts have been touched, the ones who know that it's not just about where the next square meal is coming from, but actually there's a bigger need. There's a greater hunger. There's an eternal reality, and it doesn't matter if you eat enough food till the day you die, if you haven't addressed the question of what happens next, if you haven't faced the reality of where you stand in relation to the living God, to Father, 
then having a full stomach to your dying day will be of no use to you at all. But in that crowd, there were those who just thought Jesus was a handy meal ticket. Jesus was someone who they thought if they just hung out with him, they could get whatever they needed from him. And it might not be food, but there are lots of people, lots of people in life who will turn to God when a need arises. They will turn to God in prayer because they need something. And yet, when that need is met, or the situation, the crisis blows over, they're back to where they were before. And God's not a reality in their life. It's the genie in the bottle syndrome, where I only want God if I can rub the bottle of His church or of prayer or whatever and get a quick fix for my need, and then I'm off again. And you know what? Ultimately, that is utterly exhausting. (laughs) Utterly exhausting. Why? Because generally when we take that attitude, we only ever come to God with the things we really can't manage by ourselves, things that are beyond the limits of our endurance, our possibility. But for all else, I will manage by myself. I've got it, thanks. And Jesus said to these people, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life. There is a beautiful reality tucked away in these words. Because our lives are dominated by thoughts of what I have to do. To eat, to survive, to earn a crust, to get a job, to make a career, to have standing or status, to get a house, to have a relationship, to have children, whatever the ambitions might be that you set before you, there's things I have to do. Yes, there are. And I've told you probably on a weekly basis, the city center of all places epitomizes that culture of I must, I must, I must. And yet Jesus, speaking to these people, tells them not to work for food that spoils, but to work for food that endures to eternal life. And here's the clue which the Son of Man will give you. It's a gift. The beauty of this passage is that Jesus wants the people he's speaking to to understand that there is a Father in heaven who waits to give that there is a Father in heaven who has pledged and promised to provide for the needs of His people. And what Jesus says when they say, okay, what must we do to do the works God has required? In our Thursday group at lunchtime, we were looking at the story of the rich young ruler Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
somebody at the complete other end of the socioeconomic spectrum, somebody who had uh, wealth and resources. And Jesus said, you know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness, and so on. All these I have kept since I was a boy, shining his badges, like a good scout with commandment badges up his sleeves. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, and nailed him on the greed, and nailed him on the insularity, and nailed him on the blindness to other people's need, and nailed him above all on his self-reliance. I've got this. And invited him not just to look after the poor, but the most risky thing for this guy would have been to make himself dependent on the Father by giving away his plenty and his abundance, he would then have made himself dependent not on the money in his bank or the riches at his disposal or the wealth that he had gathered or the good works he'd achieved, but instead he would be dependent on the grace of God. And that was too much for him, and he went away sad. What must we do to do the works God requires? Give us something to do so that I can be the one who makes it happen. And Jesus says, you won't work, I'll give you work. The work of God is this. Believe. That's not quite what we were thinking of, Jesus. A job, a task, a commandment. Believe. Believe in the one he has sent. We work for ordinary food. We graft, we labor, and toil. And meanwhile, there's a father who loves his kids. There's a father who wants us to live as his children, depending on what he has done. And so they said, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? These are the folks that had already eaten the loaves and the fishes, by the way. What sign will you give us? The food was still working through their digestive tract. What sign will you give us? And still looking for signs. And Jesus takes them to task because they point out to Moses or point out that they got manna in the wilderness. They point out that uh, the leader that had come before Jesus had actually given them food, manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said, I tell you, it's not Moses that's given you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. It's my Father. We fix our eyes on people. 
we fix our eyes on providers. We fix our eyes on the one that will do it for us, the job, the family member perhaps, the student loan company. I don't know. We look for the heroes and the providers. We look for the people that will give to us. And Jesus says, it's my Father that you need to fix your eyes on. My Father and your Father. But they can't see it. They can't see it. There are parallels in this passage, of course, with the woman at the well. Jesus, who comes and offers them bread, where he offered to the woman water, where she was coming looking for the daily round of water that she had to come for every single day, and the people were chasing the bread that they had to come for every single day, and the weary relentlessness, the grind of trying to provide for yourselves. And Jesus said to that woman, I will give you water that will mean you'll never thirst again. And said to this crowd, I will give you bread that will mean you'll never hunger again. And that actually, if you will understand and know who I am, and if you'll understand and know and genuinely believe that you have a Father in heaven who loves you, then your needs will be met. Your needs will be met. There's not a single person here who, even as a Christian, has not passed through dodgy times financially. And yet, I bet we could probably fruitfully spend a good 15, 20 minutes or so sharing stories of how even in our moments of darkest need, God provided for us. He came through for us. And even though it seemed like there was nothing else, some little miracle happened that convinced us that actually when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well, he meant business. You see, the only work he asks of you is to believe in the one that he has sent, to believe in the Son, to put your all in him, and to receive your all from Him. Because if you'll fix your eyes on Him, if you will allow yourself so to live with the understanding, and, and this is hard work, my dear friends. When Jesus said the work of God is this, He was not kidding. It's work. Because it's work to believe that God loves you as you are and where you are. It's work to believe. Because by and large, we don't tend to think of ourselves as particularly lovable. By and large, we can think of ten things straight off why God might withhold His favor or His grace from us. And it's spiritual work to discipline yourself to say, this is not about you this is about Him. This is not about whether you deserve His grace and favor today or not, whether you're particularly lovable or not. This is not about you. This is about Him. God is love. God is grace. God is generosity. God is a provider. 
God is committed to the glory of His name, which means looking after you. And so when Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe, it's an uphill struggle sometimes to get through all the downhill tumbling rubbish that wants to keep you in the pit, in the mud and the mire. It's an uphill struggle sometimes to actually believe and receive the glorious, beautiful, generous truth of Jesus' words who says, I am the bread of life. Make me your first. And the other things that you're chasing and striving after, well, let me unfold your life, your journey for you. Jesus came down from heaven, not to do His will, not to find a good job, not to find some career path for Him to do. He came down with one intent, and that was to do the will of Him who sent me. And that's what He calls you to as well. He calls you to believe that you are loved and known, and that every sin and shame and failure and judgment that might be held against your name, Jesus came to bear on your behalf. It's a done deal. It is finished, as Jesus prayed from the cross. And God's intent and will and purpose is to gather in all those who will hear and respond and come to Him. And I, 2,000 years, people have been trying to solve this mystery, which is bound up on both sides in this, just in case you thought this nails Calvinism or Arminianism, they're both there. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. The mystery of those who God knows and will call, and there will be those who will hear and respond, and I don't know why or how that works. I don't know why you're here and the folks that I can see on every side of me out there aren't. Maybe they've already been to church. But you're here because God has given you a heart or a desire. He's created in you and given to you the gift of faith and the desire that this is at least as important, if not more so, I hope, than going shopping on a Sunday in Glasgow. And that something is kindled and fired in your spirit or is kindling. Something that says, do you know what? This is the food that lasts for eternal life. And you can go to Sainsbury's or you can go to Mark's or you can go anywhere in the city center. You can go to Subway and you can get food and tomorrow you'll need to go back or the next day. But you can come here and get fed. And if you hold on to it and feed on it, if you believe it and receive it, if you will dare to believe in the love that Jesus came to reveal to you, then you have eternal life. And here's His promise, I will not lose you. You may get lost along the way. 
And yes, there are those who will uh, deliberately turn their back and reject and denounce and so on, and, and I'm not commenting on what happens. But I know that all those that the Father has given to Jesus, He will hold on to. So if you think you're hanging on a sugarly peg and God is just longing for the moment He can just shove you off the edge, your theology is way to pot. Because Jesus' determination is to hold on to you. It's why you're still here. It's why despite the countless times you've got it wrong and blown it and been ashamed to look Him in the face, He nonetheless has brought you back and spoken words of outrageous mercy and convinced you of His forgiveness. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I love these verses, I will never drive away. How's that for a promise? When you think you've got no right when you think you're unlovable, unforgivable, undeserving. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Can you imagine Jesus saying, yeah, you come in, you're coming, I'll have you, have it. No, not you. Off you go. Go on. Absolutely not. Because in your head, that little scenario I just painted, that was you, right? Everyone else but you. Not so, my friends. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I will lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day, for my Father's will is that just as they could look at Moses' serpent and be healed, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. How's that for security in a world of Brexit? How's that for security in a world of climate change? How's that for security in a world of global nuclear arms? I will lose none, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, this world cannot give you security. It can't give you financial security. It can't give you job security. It can't give you health security. It can't give you social security. Certainly not since universal credit came in. But Jesus offers you security. And those that will come are known to the Father. And Jesus knew that not everyone who ate the bread would recognize the source or the giver of the bread or even that Jesus is the bread of life. But those who would, would come and would follow. And so if you're here and you're not yet in that place where you've absolutely locked stock and barrel giving your life to Jesus, then do it because you will not find any greater security or promise in this life. And yet the biggest challenge of it is that there's nothing that you can do. The work is to believe. And they couldn't recognize Jesus. You see, there were people who just saw Jesus, Mary and Joseph's boy, a carpenter from Nazareth, and so on. 
as there are people who will just think that your relationship with Jesus is just myths and fairy tales and half-truths and, and, and deluded things that somebody told you and you were brainwashed and on and on and on we go because they haven't seen what you have seen. They haven't felt what you have felt. They haven't experienced what you've experienced of the love and mercy of God, of the transformation of your life from the inside out, of the beauty and the glory of finding yourself in this crazy family and knowing somehow that we fit together. And so Jesus reminds them, and they won't be able to hear these words, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up. And so right there, God's choice, and God is known, and they are known to God, and they will be drawn by God. And I don't know how that mystery works, but I don't think it means that we just do nothing. I think it means that as Jesus went out and preached and taught, and there were those that responded, so he sends us. Jesus sends his disciples to go and bear witness. We've prayed for Helen today, and we're sending Helen, as it were, into the cafe, but not on her own. <laughs> In case you thought that Helen was a superhero who was just going to do it all. But we're all sent. And those of you that are doing the Talking Jesus course know that you are sent and being sent to share your story and to tell people what you have experienced of the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life who has come in order to bring you back to the Father. And so Jesus wants you to know that out of all the glorious bread choices that you might have elected at the beginning of our little chat, he is the bread that satisfies when the focaccia and the nan and the baguettes and the mother's pride have run out. He is the bread of life. He is the one who waits and longs for you to do the work, to do the hard graft of believing that you're loved and forgiven, known and provided for, and that however uncertain a future you might be facing, that actually it's for the glory of his name that he has pledged to make a way for you and provide for you. But he needs you to trust him. He needs you to ask him. And he needs you to honor him in the way that you live and in the way that you honor him. And that might be a little tiny thing or it might be a big, huge thing. 